Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Amanta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and consultant to the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed on this podcast are our own and not our employers. People who run into problems using dating apps are often told they should ask their friends to set them up, but is that actually a good idea? And should you matchmake your own friends? Let's talk about it with your favorite podcast hosts, The Dating Professors. Maybe you're tired of dating apps and you think it would be easier to meet someone through a friend that you already trust, or maybe you yourself are off the market, but you'd love to see your friends happily coupled. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. What could go wrong? Okay, Michelle. That's a million dollar question. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you first, has someone ever tried to matchmake you? So... I, the only time I can think of was actually it it did end up being successful, but not in the intended way. So I this was when I was in my late teens, and it actually ended up being an eight-year relationship that emerged wow. from it. But what had happened was I was single, and I was working <laughs> to date myself at um, Blockbuster Video at the time while um, <laughs> on a on a break from college, I think, or might have even been before I went to college. And I didn't like being single. I wanted to be dating somebody. And so I was complaining about that to my coworkers at work. And one of them was like, you know, I know somebody who I think could be a good match for you. And he plays in this band and they play all the time. In fact, they're playing, I think it was like this weekend or the next weekend at this place that you know of. Why don't you come out? I'll meet you there. I'll introduce you guys. And I'll tell him, you know, in advance too, like that I'm matchmaking you guys, see if he's cool with it. So he was cool with it. So that was the plan. So I went to the restaurant and it was, or it was a bar. In fact, it was called the Jewish Mother. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I went there and my friend was not there. And I'm trying to get in touch with him and he wasn't answering. And I was just kind of standing there by myself because I had expected to meet my friend. I didn't know anybody else there. So these guys took pity on me. They saw me just looking abandoned and by myself and they're like hey can we help you are you looking for somebody so I explained you know my friend was supposed to meet me but I think he's bailed we were actually supposed to be he was supposed to be matchmaking me with somebody tonight we were gonna meet and it's one of the guys from the band actually they're like oh well we know the band we can introduce you to him (laughs) during one of their breaks from their sets and so I was like okay so I told them the name of the guy I was supposed to be meeting and when it was I think time for the break, or it may have been right before the band started playing, they saw another guy from the band and they were like, hey, we want you to meet this girl. She's here to meet your bandmate. And can you introduce them? Well, that's the guy I ended up being with for eight years. Not the one I was supposed to. We did not hit it off. But the guy who introduced me to him, and actually it was really sweet because he 
he was a journaler and months or more into us dating, he showed me his journal entry from that night we met about like seeing me and kind of having his breath taken away and how strange it felt to be introducing me. I remember he used the phrasing like to a friendly foe and um, being like, okay, I guess I'll introduce her to my friend instead of to me. But the friend and I did not hit it off. I had thought the first guy was cute and I had ran into another friend shortly after, like a few days later, she had asked what I'd been up to. I told her I saw that band over the weekend and she was like, oh, I know one of the guys from that band. And she knew the guy who I had been interested in. And I was like, that's so funny. He was the one who I thought was really cute. I did not hit it off with the guy I was supposed to be match made with. And she was like, let me get in touch with him for you. So we, Aww. so she ended up getting us connected and we were together for eight years after that. Wow. <laughs> so that was my story. It was, it was not the intended match though. So, like, you know, it was kind of more just dumb luck that it worked out that way while somebody was trying to match make me with somebody else. So what about you? Any good stories of having somebody successfully matchmake you or horror stories of having somebody try to matchmake for you well i i think somewhere in the in the middle one thing i was going to say about your story is you know like one piece of advice that is commonly given and i think we would give also is that it's always good to just meet more people so while you didn't end up with the person you were you know supposed to end up with based on the matchmaking according to that principle right like you ended up meeting him as a result ultimately of someone trying to get you to meet more people so it, it has these really interesting network effects it's like when people meet someone even on an app and then maybe they end up dating their friend or whatever so yeah. you know i guess one moral of the story is like Hey, it never hurts to like, you know, get to know more people. But yeah, for me, okay, one thing that's a little bit funny about my story, which is not a very dramatic story otherwise, is that basically someone suggested that maybe I might want to date someone, but I don't think he told the other person that. So, you know, <laughs> oh, no. so it was like unilateral matchmaking. So I had sort of like an independent reason uh, I was in my mid-20s and I had sort of an independent reason to have dinner with that person. And so I did, but he didn't know that I was like screening him also for dating purposes based on what my friend had said. And look, it, it was it was a no-go. Like it wasn't a disaster or anything, but it, it just became very obvious to me that this was not going to work, even though I could see why on paper... Like it, it might have, it didn't seem absurd to me. It, it just was not going to be a good personality match. And then fast forward a decade later, and this guy and I were both divorced from our first spouses. And I sort of like ended up hanging out with him. And, and to be honest, I was like screening him again, <laughs> which he didn't know, right? Like it was like, this was not an official date. And I'm like, man, I still feel exactly the same way I felt a decade ago. Like the things that made me think this is not going to work were the exact same things as before. So, you know, it was an interesting experience to this day. This person does, does not know that I was considering him for romantic purposes, as far as I know. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of how it uh, ended or rather never, never really took off in the, you know, in the first place. 
(laughs) Yeah, it's funny. And I know we'll get into like the questions of what made somebody think that this person would be a good match for you. I don't know. Did you know it in that case, why they thought the two of you might be interested in each other? Yeah, I, I think it was, look, we were coming from similar backgrounds, like professionally sort of operating in the same world. Like, you know, he was, he was attractive enough. Like I, I, you know, I can't say that like that didn't make sense either. Right. Why someone might think I would find him attractive. So we'll get into this also, but like, you know, there are some people who are like, this is so insulting. I can't even believe this person would think I'd be attracted to this guy. So I had no sort of negative feelings in that way at all. You know, what it was, she, speaking of the word negative, like that, that was actually part of the issue like i i did feel like a very negative vibe from this person and and i I don't mean that in any sort of like derogatory way you know what i mean like it was just i could just feel that it was something that could be a problem while dating and then there were like other things too like just sort of having to do with manners and things like that where i'm like uh you know like i i just i don't like this i don't like what i'm seeing and so those things together like i just you know i i just didn't feel like it was it was right for me when you talk about the negative vibe was that more like his disposition like a pessimistic kind of vibe or you think it was like negative towards being out on a date or what was it but we weren't out on a date. Remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't Meeting know. With people. <laughs> no, I, I think it was the former. I think it was just more of a, you know, like, I don't know. It, it just seemed like it was maybe going to be the kind of person where like nothing is ever his fault, you know, and like oh, other people yeah. that maybe did this or that wrong. And look, like, especially our first meeting is now a pretty long time ago, like my mid twenties, <laughs> you know, they're, they're a while back at this stage. Um, but, but so yeah, like it, it just didn't really, I don't know, like th- there was a, a lacking lightheartedness, you know, that I tend yeah. to appreciate in people like that kind of banter. I mean, I can also be a very serious person as you may have noticed. Uh, but, but I also, I like to laugh a lot and like joke about stuff and just, you know, I'm like someone who's just very serious and very negative and, you know, like it was just sort of like, okay, th- this feels like a little bit too much of a downer, you know? Yeah. But your friend thought you guys might be a fit more just cause you had similar like professional standings or were at a similar sort of place and you were, you were both a single, like it's pretty much that. I think so. I never really grilled him about what he was thinking, but he was like, yeah, I like, look, he thought this is a really nice guy. And, and, you know, and I think in many ways that was true. Like, I do believe this person had a lot of qualities. And so it it was just, people don't always think all that deeply. And also people often have a limited pool of friends kind of available. So, so they think, okay, like this is sort of the best possible candidate. Right. So why not? And and it wasn't wrong. Okay. Like it was really, it was not so far apart that you could be like, oh my God, how dare you? Right. Like, what were you thinking? I wasn't, I wasn't upset. You know, I was like, okay, you know what? At least like this friend tried, at least he made a suggestion. Whereas there are a lot of people who like, 
don't want to get involved. I mean, some people genuinely, I remember after my divorce, like how, when I did ask people, I, I think I'd read some advice about, you should ask your friends if they know anyone. And, and when I did that, like I often got the response of, oh, believe me, you don't want to date any of the single men I know. <laughs> uh, I heard that more than oh, once. Oh man. Okay. That um sucks. Like, it does kind of make you wonder, how are you able to be friends with somebody you wouldn't recommend your friend to I date? I knew you but would I guess say it does that. Highlight. There's, there's a difference between what makes somebody fun and what makes them a good partner, which is going to be important for our listeners to keep in mind as they think about matchmaking, whether being the object of it or, or just as they are out looking in the dating world, recognizing just because somebody is fun or nice doesn't mean they're necessarily compatible in other ways. And so it can be hard for our friends to really gauge maybe what our values are when it comes to compatibility in a romantic relationship and how that might be different than what we're looking for in friendships. That's a really, really important point. And look, like I've dated, you know, a number of different people. I would even say to two people I, in one case, was married to, in one case, am married to, that those two people are very different from each other. Right. And so it's not like you could look at them and be like, aha, I know exactly what Irina's type is. Right. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I think so. I think that also makes it hard. Also, if you don't have like a, a clear physical type, like I have dated people that have looked quite different from each other, you know, including like people of different ethnicities and like different heights. And so it, it's not like you, you would know necessarily from from one thing like what, you know, I, I was just laugh I'm laughing at myself now when I think about the height point, because so I'm five. I'm, I'm quite tall for a woman. Right. Like I'm five, ten and a half. And, um, which apparently puts me in the 99th percentile for women wow. in America who knew, even though I feel like I, I do have several, uh, taller female friends. And, and of course, both of these things can be true at the same time. Right. But so, um, I have dated men who I think must range from five, six to probably like six, six. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. something like that like so it's not like if you looked at these people you'd be like i don't know you know but just because that's not something that was super important to me right so i think it can be difficult to know what someone's looking for or what might click and what might not but you know let's talk about i think one of the biggest sort of problems okay and one of the biggest obstacles or, or pitfalls of matchmaking i think a lot of people don't want to matchmake other people or, or have had negative experiences with setting up other people and it affected the friendship between the matchmaker and one or both of the people being matchmade. Do you want to comment on that? Because I have some comments on that if you don't. Well, I can say that's definitely what I would worry about myself if I was thinking about matchmaking. I, I guess specifically, I would worry about if they don't hit it off, would either or both of them think something negative like about what I must think of them if if they didn't hit it off with the other person. I think I'd have a little anxiety about that. And I think I'd also have anxiety about like, what if they did hit it off, but then broke up over time? Like, what would that mean for my ability to be friends with one or both of them? What kind of weirdness might that create? So I think for me, those would be my hesitations. 
I actually don't feel like I really found myself in a position to do matchmaking amongst my friends. And so I really haven't had the opportunity to put these guesses into practice about how I'd actually feel about it. Because I, I also kind of think on the other end of things, there's, I can tell you sometimes like working with clients, I'll have like one single client who will be talking about how hard it is out there, how they can't find somebody who's X, Y, or Z. And I'll have another single client who is X, Y, or Z. And I've definitely thought, oh, I wish I could match make my clients, but spoiler alert, I'm not going to do that. Haven't done that. But you know, I, um, I remember having like, you know, this wistfulness about it and been like, I wish I could. I wish my knowing of both of these people could make it so that they could know each other. And I think that's what friends, you know, would think a lot of the times. I could see how friends could get excited about it as well. And I don't know when presented with that opportunity, if more people, their excitement overrides their anxiousness about it or their anxiousness overrides their excitement. What you said, you have some stories. I, I do. And, you know, I, I was just picturing as you were talking the perfect Hollywood plot. Okay. Where the next step is you start like a group therapy session where they just so happen to fall. It's going to be group therapy for people who are having a hard time right. finding people to date, right? That the plot just writes itself. Um, <laughs> they but get into so, extra conversations in the waiting room beforehand. <laughs> that's right. You start scheduling them around the same time. It's like, oh, don't you want to change your time from Tuesday night to Wednesday night? I think it would be really good for you to make that change. Um, so uh, look, like I I I have match made a little bit, okay? I'm like, you know, there haven't been too many disasters, although one one that where I still don't actually know what happened, okay? Is like, so I match made a guy that I met on the apps and that I decided not to date purely based on like kind of lack of physical chemistry. I thought he was a really nice guy, like, you know, educated and stable and like lots of, you know, good things with somebody that I had gotten to know, a female friend I'd gotten to know through another friend. And, and so I, I set them up and like, long story short, I, they did date for several months. Okay. So this is in that sense, it has been my most successful match, like my most long lasting one. But then I don't know what happened. He said, I, I do know somehow I did find out that they broke up and she unfriended me on Facebook. And I mm. don't know why. Like, I don't know what happened. I didn't have any conflict with her or whatever. Like, and so I, I don't know if it was like, and then of course I wondered, did he do something awful? And then she was mad at me. Did she dump him? And she didn't really want to have to confront me afterwards about it in case, I don't know, I had some sort of thoughts about it. And like, you know, I never really like asked him and like I, I sort of lost touch with him, frankly, um, not for any particular reason. Um, but so I, I never really found out what happened, but that definitely gave me pause as to, okay, like, you know, these were not people I was super close to, but it, yeah, it did make me nervous. Like, what about people that I am close to? And at the same time, like, you know, I, I feel like you are doing such a public service by matchmaking. And it is so hard for people out there, which is part of why we have this whole show, this whole podcast. And so I think even though it makes me nervous, sometimes I, I can't help myself and I try. I will say one of the most common things that have happened and which can be hard to figure out why it happened is one party 
flaking on the other party. And sometimes that might be lack of interest and the person not wanting to or being able to express that in a direct manner. But then also sometimes, sometimes maybe the person was just a flake in the first place. And now that expresses itself in either sort of an extreme way, like the person just literally stops responding, ghosts somebody, whatever, or is just flaky in like setting updates or accepting offers for dates. And I find that to be one of the trickiest patterns, right? Because then it's like, okay, like, why is this happening? And, and that brings us to another topic, which is kind of like, hey, like, how much are you going to try to be involved in what's happening after you made the match? Mm. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, man, I think you got to stay out of that. I mean, I think <laughs> you... I, I guess it depends too on how close you are to one or both of them. I mean, if it were like my best friend, I was matchmaker, I would not stay out of it. I'd be all up in her <laughs> business asking her about how it's going. But I think if it's two more acquaintances or less close friends, I do think it's probably better to stay out of it just so that it gives them the room kind of pressure free to, to explore if they're really interested in each other or not. You know, we have a friend of the podcast, Amber, who does the Ex-Wives Undercover podcast. And recently they had an episode where she had shared a bad matchmaking story where somebody had tried to matchmake, a friend of hers had tried to matchmake her with, I think, a client of theirs, which is awkward, yes. right? Like, because now you feel this pressure. I think a lot of us, although maybe this is a personality trait kind of thing, but I think a lot of us would feel obligated to our friend to give it more of a try than maybe we would if we had met this person out in the wild. So even if you're like, oh, I don't know, I'm not really feeling it. I think a lot of us would be hesitant to close that door because of our friend. And so I think that's another reason that maybe if your friend stays out of it, it at least takes off some of that pressure. Or if you're a friend or if you are the friend who's matchmaking, letting the person know you know, I'm doing this and then I'm stepping back just to not create any more pressure in what is already a pressureful situation, which dating is. So I don't know. What else do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, on average, staying out of it is probably right. I do think that, you know, sometimes you might be able to be a helpful resource in creating empathy for the other person, if there is like a misunderstanding or, you know, something like that. So, so I think that can be, you know, that can be helpful, but yeah, you have to be sort of aware of setting up problematic dynamics and it's probably worth setting up some like ground rules explicitly or implicitly. I mean, I, one thing is like, I, I do try to remember to tell people now, like, Hey, if you two don't work out, like that's not on me. Like basically I reserve the right to remain friends with both people. <laughs> Look, which isn't to Sign say that if someone, consent form. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which isn't to say that if someone acted horribly, that I would not take that into account. Like in considering the friendship, of course, my own friendship, but you know, I just sort of setting some, some ground rules. And then I don't know, you know, in a way, like, I, I think it can be, I don't know. It depends who you are. I could see some people doing it in like an awful manipulative way, but I also do think it can be a fairly altruistic thing to do. Again, like I was saying earlier, because you know there are these risks and like you decide to do that for someone anyway, because it's like if it does work out, I mean, it can obviously be such a 
beautiful life-changing thing you know and i think because of that i'm not i'm not able to like quit the business altogether you know i just i'm not like going out there and like looking for people to match left and right or whatever but but like if it does come up like or if people ask me hey do you know someone like I, you know, I have tried and sometimes it didn't go beyond you ask the other person the other person's like, oh, you know what? I just don't want to date anyone right now. And that's the end of that. Like I've had that happen too, you know, where it's like, even though two people are single, that doesn't mean that they're both ready for a relationship. Right. So, or that they're just a chat. good match. Yeah, either. Or that like that reminds me of a conversation. I think is that we had with Emma Lutkin when she was on the show about how some of her friends were just like, you're single, they're single, ergo, you would be a good fit. And I actually, knowing we were going to talk about this today, asked my boyfriend too, if anyone had ever match made him and oh. he said, yes. And I asked, And he was like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. We had some interests in common, but she was a little more hardcore into them in a way that, and some of their interests like partying and stuff like that at the Mm. time. Um, And so he was like, we had interests in common. I could see why my friend thought we'd be a good match. But other than that, I really think it was she's single and you're single. (laughs) And so, so yeah, I think people have to be mindful of that just because two people are single and just because they're both nice doesn't mean that they would be a good match together. So I do think it's really important to, if you are going to match make, and like you said, coming from that place of wanting to be altruistic, to invite love into people's lives and to facilitate that where you can, I think that's a lovely wish and thing to want to be a part of, but you definitely want to be intentional in doing so. So let me ask you, one of the hard questions in that case, Michelle, you're a therapist. And so you've seen people get along and you've seen people not get along like in, in, in couples counseling sessions and things like that. And look, this is on some level, almost like an unfair question, because if we knew the answer, we would be wealthy just because we figured out the algorithm. So I'm not asking you quite at that level, but how do you figure out, like, let's say you're looking at your friend group. How do you figure out who might be a good match for each other? You know what I would honestly say is back to a point you had made earlier about asking somebody, I'm trying to think that maybe the exact words you would use or something, but essentially asking them what what they'd be looking for, what they do look for in a partner, I think is what you said about what is their type. So I think if you ask somebody, what's your type? They might give an answer that wasn't what you had expected. And it might be informative and in helping you hear from their own mouth, either what their type is. And I guess a follow-up question of like, Do you want that to continue to be your type? Do you think that's a healthy type for you? You know, I think asking those kind of questions would be important too. But yeah, I mean, I think it would be most likely to turn out well if you really knew what your single friends were looking for in their own words. And if you felt like they were looking for something that you didn't think was right for them, having an honest conversation with them about that. Like, for example, one of my friends, this was a long time ago now, like, I mean, at least a decade ago, but she just kept dating bad guy after bad guy. I knew you'd and, say that. <laughs> uh, and it just like, it was hard to watch because she was great and she deserved so much better. And I knew she could do so much better. I mean, she was a lovely person, personality wise, accomplished, like an independent woman. Like there were, she had so much to offer and she just went for these losers who treated her badly. And I did 
I remember at one point she was kind of complaining about it to me and being like, I always like the bad guys. I was like, I know. What if you went for a good guy? And she was like, they're <laughs> boring. And so at least we were able to have a conversation about it where, you know, I said, but I get that the bad guys are exciting, but this is what happens when you date them. It ends up like this and it hurts you and it breaks your heart and it causes all this drama in your life. Like, would you be willing to give a good guy a try? And she was just like, no, like, I really don't think so. And it's just it's where she was at at the time. She ended up marrying a good guy later on, but she just really wasn't there. And so I think it helped that uh, it was hard because we knew that her type was bad guy. <laughs> and at least we could have an honest conversation about it. In a perfect world, you'd say it to your friend, would you be willing to give this different kind of guy a, a chance? Here's why I think that might be a good idea for you. And they'd say, yeah, I'll give it a chance. But you know, again, then enters that, but would they be doing it out of obligation to you or are they really giving it an honest chance? So I, I think though, I think it would be best to ask them who's their type and if they're, if they think that's a good and healthy type, if there's something else they'd be willing to try, because like you said, also with type, I mean, really people's answers will surprise you. I also remember somebody who I ended up being in a relationship with who at some point in our dating he knew who my ex-boyfriend was. He had seen pictures of him and stuff because he had a unique name and, and we were still like friends on social media. And so he had like, I guess kind of creeped on my social media a little bit, saw who my ex was. They look nothing alike. They kind of were in different lines of work, just different worlds sort of in, in that respect. And so the person I was currently dating said, you know, I'm kind of confused as to how you could date that guy and then go from that guy to me. Like, I just don't, I'm trying to understand what your type is. And it was interesting because I, when I looked at it that way, I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Like y'all don't look anything alike. Again, there was um, height differences. There was race differences. There was, they again, one of them's more white collar. One of them's more blue collar, living in those different kind of worlds. And so I could see how on the outside to that, outside eye, he would be confused as to what my type is. And, and to be fair, he also knew about one of my other exes who was also short. I had, I, I've dated across heights as well. And so I really did have to, you know, think how to put into words that it was much more a personality thing for me. My type for me is much more personality based. I like, well, I'm not telling all y'all because I don't need you hitting me up and trying to date me. I'm in a relationship, but I've got a type and it's more personality based. And, and I really run the gamut, as you said, as far as a lot of other factors. So anyway, those are some thoughts I have. What else do you have to add? Well, okay, here's one thing I will add, which is there are people where like I've tried to match make them once and I am definitely not doing that again. Okay, there are people where it didn't work out with whatever and I would be happy to match to make them again. So it's not the sheer fact that, oh, it didn't work out with the one person I chose for you. No, that's obviously not it. But when especially when somebody has been flaky, because usually people didn't show any like horrible behavior as far as I know. Like, you know, I, I would like to think I don't have friends that would do that. And at least so far, I, as far as I know, that's held up again with the possible exception of the person who unfriended me and I have no idea what happened, right? But in general, I don't think it was like that. But if I see behaviors that I just think are rude, like, like I said, flakiness of some sort or whatever, it's like, okay, you know what? I tried to help you once. And that's it. Like, I'm not putting someone else through that kind of behavior. You honestly, you do not deserve 
my help in that respect anymore. And I'm not gonna, you know, raise red flags about myself, frankly, with another friend who's like, why would you, did you know this person was that flaky? Now I would have to say, oh yeah, actually I, right. So, so that's kind of the end. So, so in that sense, when it comes to just basic politeness, like if you're not showing that, like, okay, that's, that's it. Let me ask you something else about, okay. So one of the super popular shows on Netflix, which is also quite controversial for a number of reasons is Indian matchmaking, right? There've now been several seasons and the matchmaker Seema always talks about how, you know what, finding someone who meets 60 to 70% of your criteria is enough and the rest is, is compromise. And, and she also kind of feels like you can tell, she feels like the younger generations don't really understand that anymore. And how true do you think it is that like, okay, well, 60, 70% is pretty good. And, and how do you know, as the person that's trying to match make, how do you know that like, okay, two people are close enough. They're a close enough match for it to be worth the risk. So let's say you did the thing that you were talking about earlier. You ask people what they wanted and you have like their lists or whatever. And then you find two people. It's like, yeah, okay. It's kind of sort of works, but it's not like perfect. How do you make the cut? Well, I think it mostly comes down to what it is that they are looking for in terms of matchmaking. Like, are they looking for, uh, let's see where this goes? Are they looking for, no, like, I'm looking for a life partner or marriage or something like that. I, I also think as far as that 60 to 70%, you know, something should be weighted heavier than others as well. So I think that's important to keep in mind as well, looking at what are somebody's I think as we've talked about before in the show, I think it's really important to have core values that are in common or at least compatible. And, and then from there, I think it's fine to have other things that aren't core values that are more preferences that you'd be willing to, to compromise on or to yeah be flexible with. And I think it is an important idea, as the matchmaker had said, to, to learn how to compromise, to learn how to not have to have all things your way. But yeah, I'd offer those two little asterisks beside it of, but some things are weighted more heavily than others. And there is such thing as deal breakers. Doesn't matter if you've got 80% or 90% in common, if the deal breaker is there, it's a no. Um, and so you need to know what those are. And I think you need to know what your core values are. And then, yeah, I think you need to know what it is that you want in terms of length of relationship or seriousness of relationship that you're out there looking for and feel some kind of reasonable assurance that the person you're thinking of matchmaking them with wants the same kind of thing. Cause I think it would be really heartbreaking to match two people who have 60 to 70% or more of stuff in common, but one wants something short-term and the other wants something long-term or one wants something monogamous and committed. And the other says, no, like I'm non-monogamous. So I think, I think those parts will be really important to have in common, but I do think there's a value of not leaning too heavily into all your preferences to be willing to challenge that. And, and then to answer the other part of your question, I do think you've got to leave it up to the people themselves. You know, you are offering a suggestion. And as you said before, with the, you know, friends you have match made is, and then I'm out of it. Like, it's all up to you guys, what you do from here. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, no, I think these are all, I think these are all really good points. Okay. Pop quiz for you. 
And you don't have to obviously answer with names or anything, but if right now you had to match make two of your single friends, can you come up with people that you would match make? And how did you pick them out of the hat under pressure? Yeah, well, right off the top of my head, one of my very best friends is single. I mean, my best friend is single and I would love to find somebody for her because I think she has endured unfair heartbreak and frustrations over the years with some of these men she has been dealing with. And I guess I do maybe see some patterns in the type of men she has dated who I feel like have not been great for her. And so... I know she'd be who I'd want to match make. And I know she'd be one of the types that when I asked her what her type was, we need to have a conversation about, but can we acknowledge that your type kind of sucks though? Like, and like, what would it be like to date somebody who's different in certain kinds of ways? And I think, I think that in my mind, a lot would hinge on that. If she was willing, if she only wanted to date the same type of guys, I would not be excited about matchmaking for her. But if she was willing to step outside of her usual box, date somebody, honestly, who is maybe even a little more like her. She is attracted to people who have some significant differences than her. And she likes that variety and everything not being all boring and predictable. But I think if there were some factors that were maybe a little closer, like work ethic or the value of work relative to the rest of life or financial abilities and competence, I think would be some important ones. That's a whole other topic, I suppose, about when you really are interested in somebody, but you guys are in different worlds financially. I think sometimes for her, it would be more lifestyle factors like that, that if I got to matchmake, I'd match make with somebody who is more similar to her in those respects and different from the kind of guys she's been dating. Do you have anyone in mind that you would match make and what would factor into it? You know, there, it's funny because there are two people, for example, I could think of right now who in terms of values and cultural values and things like that could be a really good fit, but like, one of them did act in a flaky way when I set that person up previously. And the other one, I tried a little bit to send him up and it just sort of like petered out, you know, like the conversation. And so, you know, I don't want to judge that. Like, I don't think that was as sort of distinct a case. And, and, and that was also... That, that was a stretch. Okay. That match was a stretch. And I think I was pretty open about that in the first place that like, look, here are the things that these two people have in common and here are the things that they don't. And like, you know, so, so I wasn't like super shocked when that one went nowhere. It was like nothing bad happened again. Just, just didn't talk again or whatever. But yeah, like I, you know, I'm just not, I don't know. I guess I'm just not willing to to try again when I feel like people didn't, you know, act in ways that my friends deserve. And I am protective of my friends. It's like, if you're going to be flaky at my friend, yeah, okay. Like, I am going to judge you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I am. I like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like people hurting my friends, even sort of in small ways, right? So I'm like, eh. Now, if the person said, you know what, I realize I did not do the right thing, blah, 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 like, 
all right, that that's fine. But yeah, I, I don't know, Michelle. I'm, I'm about to get into one of my rants. I can feel it. <laughs> but but I just feel like lately, I mean, it had already been happening for a long time, but I feel like it's gotten worse. Like I feel like flakiness has just gotten worse, period, not just in the dating context. And it's really driving me up a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, okay, let's say I'm the outlier and norms are changing. And what's considered acceptable is changing. Am I just the one that's not sort of going with the times? I mean, I've had, you know, examples of people like apologizing about not being in touch, but then doing it again, like five minutes later, you know, and I'm like, what is going on? Like at the point where I'm almost like anthropologically curious, I'm not just like, sometimes I'm mad, but sometimes I'm just like, like, I don't get it. Why did you apologize? And then you just did it again. And at some point, like my patience kind of runs out. Have you, have you noticed stuff like yeah. that too lately? I think, I think so. And some of my basis for knowledge about this is from like some social media groups we belong to. So, I mean, admittedly, we maybe are hearing some skewed stories there, but it's not like the groups are people who have gripes with dating. It's people who are dating. And there just seem to be a lot of gripes about flakiness in particular. I know when I was last dating before I met my boyfriend, I I definitely experienced a little of that. I even remember I had zero tolerance for it because I remember at one point a guy had been kind of chatting it up with me and then he just disappeared. So I wrote him and I said, hey, you haven't written in a while. So I'm unmatching. Best of luck to you. And I unmatched. But it was on one of those apps where they could like, I think, pay to rematch with me or something like that. And so he did. And he was like, I'm sorry, you're right. I was being really flaky. Um, I'd love a second chance. I just wasn't in the position to give it. I just didn't care at that point. I was like, eh, no, like, I kind of feel like that's if you didn't want to be flaky. You wouldn't have been. Maybe this will be a good lesson, you know, for you for the future. Um, but he didn't. I, I didn't give him a second chance, so I don't know if he would have been flaky again. But you're right. I, I definitely think there is a lot of flakiness out there. And I know on some of our prior episodes, we've talked about like why this might be with different guests. I, I know my general sense of things is, and I, I'm trying to think if a lot of this might actually have come from reading The Lonely Hunter, but. Maybe it's just a combination from across different guests. Anyway, you know, I'm thinking about it and thinking a lot of it is just we're so disconnected as a society and we don't have those same natural bonds. It's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about on the show today. So with the rise of apps for dating and the anonymity behind it and it's you don't know people in common and things like that, I do think it's it's just become a lot more common and therefore more acceptable to not feel like you owe what we would call basic decency to somebody because maybe people were like, well, it's only basic decency if I have to be accountable for it later, like I might with a friend. And so actually I think that's one good thing about people who say, you know what, match me with people you actually know in real life. Because I do wonder if maybe there is a greater sense, it's that obligation I was talking about earlier, but maybe to the extent that it manifests as accountability, it's not a bad thing. If it makes people a little less flaky, if they're tempted to be flaky just out of laziness, the path of least resistance, but then they think, eh, this person's friends with my friend, um, maybe I'm not gonna hear the end of this, or it makes me humanize this person who I'm considering dating a little bit more. They're not just this possibility out there, they're an actual person who 
my friend cares about, maybe it does make you inclined to be less flaky. So I think you're probably right. I think there is more of it these days. And my best guess is because our society has become an increasingly isolating and spread out. We just don't have those built-in senses of community to the same extent that we used to. We have more anonymity. Anything else? I don't know. What do you think about all of that? Well, I think, I don't know. I also just think people are, and it's related to what you said, but people are sort of losing their sense of shame, you know, like, because it's, I think it's, there are interesting feedback effects between how people behave online and how they behave in real life, right? So there used to be, and there still is a lot of discussion about people who have one persona online and they can even be these total internet trolls and all this stuff. And then they have a completely different persona out in the physical world. But I really think part of what has happened is that the way that people have, let's say, let themselves go online now comes back to affect how they're acting like even with people they know, even with people they've known for years or where they have acquaintances in common. And I do think you're right that on average, it's probably still going to be better. Like when there is a little bit more accountability, I think all of that is correct, but I find myself surprised again and again, how little accountability people feel even. So I don't know if you've experienced like more clients canceling sessions at the last second than they used to, or just sort of like a general lack of professionalism in different interactions that you might have with different entities, right? Or different types of actors, because you, you interact with a lot of different entities. And I do too, whether we're talking university actors or whether we're talking private institutions or government or like, you, you know, that just sort of like across segments it ain't looking so good out there. <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, people just breaking commitments left and right. And so it's hard to, because you're trying to build something when you build a relationship, whether you were matchmade or you met on an app, right? And, and if you're someone that doesn't really stick with their commitments already in the first place, and maybe has gotten lazy, like you're saying, or maybe there's something else going on, you're probably not going to do so great. <laughs> and yeah, so, so again, it, it, there's this feedback back and forth, but I'm just, this is, this is yet again, one of my, like, I am worried for society speeches that I give every once in a while on this show. Yeah. I mean, actually that does kind of get me thinking, you know, I haven't had that problem so much with clients, although I did, I did recently have one client who on relatively short notice canceled both her intake session and then the time that she rescheduled that. So a second intake, she she broke. And then I just wasn't willing to see her anymore. So I wrote her and said, hey, like, it's just not going to work out. And she wrote back right away and was like, well, actually, you know, I only canceled this other one because of this thing that I could move. And I was like, well, you would have moved it if you were really serious about this. If you, you know, you wouldn't have had to have me canceling on you or like not being willing to let you reschedule. Kind of with that, like with that guy who wanted to, come back after I had denied him for dating because he was flaky, same kind of thing. I have had that happen once recently with a client. I will say my clients are pretty good. I mean, they're very good, I, I would say, about keeping their session, which hopefully reflects that it's a valuable service that brings good into their life. Um, but also I know there's a you know a late fee, no show fee if they, if they don't attend. So maybe people should start Venmoing people who flake on them, be like, this is your no show fee and see if, <laughs> see if that gets any traction. You know where I have seen it though, a good amount of flakiness, more, not good, it's not a good thing, but 
a lot more flakiness than I have been used to is with my students. And it's, it is them treating deadlines like options. It is them treating going to class like an option. And then, I mean, it is, but it comes with natural consequences of you're not going to do well on the graded assignments if you're not there. And so I think there's been a fair amount of that, which does make me wonder, like you said, um, so anthropologically, what does it all mean? And there, when I look at it with the students, I do feel like they're really stressed. And maybe these years of the pandemic have in addition to the unique stressors that that has created. And for them, my the students I work with are traditional college age students. So around 18 to 22. And for them, I, I do think they maybe even missed out on some important socialization, particularly at an age where, where you are interested in dating and romantic relationships. And instead, everything kind of had to be about survival mode and what works for you and just do what you need to to get by for you know a period of years. So maybe some of this is people coming out of that or not coming out of that, as the case may be, where they're still feeling in survival mode. I mean, you know... We're not in a great place as a nation in a lot of respects. I mean, whether it's pandemic related, the economy, it, I think financial stressors might keep people from wanting to go out or feeling nervous about how much they might spend either on going out or buying a nice little outfit to go out or something like that. So, I mean, there could be some societal pressures that could be contributing to it as well. It's interesting you you know, you asked about, do I see it in other contexts aside from dating? Cause, cause yeah, I see it with the students more than anything else. Yeah. What do I you think, think you noticed it in the, other ways? I do think a lot of students are struggling. I will say I am hearing it maybe a little bit more at the undergrad level than the law school level, but that's just a general sense. I don't, I don't have any data on this. And then, you know, like it's, it's interesting the point you bring up uh, about economically, you're, you're very right. Dating has become, and, and going out with friends has become a lot more expensive than it used to be. And, and with inflation and everything and, you know, salaries often not keeping up right with, with inflation, yeah. it's been a real struggle for, for a lot of people. And so that, that could definitely play into it also um, for some people health, right? Like some people might've had COVID and then they were fine. And other people are having all sorts of weird effects, like even months or years later. So I think it's like a complicated combination of these social disruptions you're talking about, like economic effects, health effects, at least for some people. And yeah, it's, I, I do think I do think a lot of people are suffering in silence and I think a lot of people are having a hard time acknowledging that for whatever reason, and again, it might be complicated, but for whatever reason, frankly, they're they're cognitively struggling at this point and they're struggling to to keep up, not not just not just emotionally, although that's a big piece also, but also just cognitively, just keeping track of different commitments and who texted me and yeah, I'm supposed to get back to load. them. Yeah, the mental load, right? And, and it's like people text on all these different platforms and like, look, I, I'm actually, I would like to think I am pretty good, relatively speaking, at keeping track of, on that particular topic. But like, there are other things where, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten about something or let something slip, right? Because we all have. Uh, so, and, and I know I appreciate if somebody reminds me if I didn't, you know, 
respond or if they still need something from me. Like, uh, but, but, but there are people where you don't know. I mean, you do remind them once, maybe you even remind them twice and then they don't get back to you. And then you're like, is this person mad at me now? Are they hiding because they're ashamed that like they didn't respond or they still don't want to respond? Like all of these mind games, you know? And, and so I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know how we work our way out of that. I do think one way, and, and you have obviously done a lot of important work in that area is by removing a lot of the stigma against mental health issues and then being able to say, yeah, a uh, person says, you know what, I wasn't responding because I was severely depressed for three weeks, right? Or, or whatever. And, and then I think the other person is much more likely to be understanding and to say, okay, let's, you know, let's start afresh and like, you know, let's just work with what we've got. But as a society, and I don't need to lecture you on that, like we're not where we need to be yet on, on being accepting about that. And I think especially in professional settings, people don't want to like like psych academia is definitely better about it than legal academia in terms of people being you know and i do think that the humanities also are more open than like law is but you know like law medicine probably business right the so-called quote-unquote professional schools like people are not there in terms of talking about it as much. I, I am encouraged to see law students on social media, like being more open about this stuff. And like, I do think we're seeing generational change. Um, and, and I have had students who have told me about some of their, you know, some of their problems. And, and I've tried to be, of course, very welcoming and just, you know, uh, but also making it clear to them that they don't, don't have to tell me this like like I will give them an extension if they need one <laughs> yeah. without them you know what I mean like I don't you totally. don't have to disclose stuff that like just to you know like I don't want them to feel under that kind of pressure yeah. but yeah I look I think there are a lot of things to tackle but I personally I sometimes I don't know I I feel a little unsure these days about some social interactions and how to handle them like if someone doesn't answer a question that you texted them or whatever like i mean you tell me what do you think is the etiquette at this point like I just well and know. i think it varies i yeah. think it, like it's so much down to different people's opinions and i even think different generations or even like sub pockets within generations feel different kind of ways about it i get the sense from various conversations i've been privy to uh about what is the etiquette around this there does not seem like there is a an agreed upon answer, but bringing it back to the idea of matchmaking. I mean, I guess that is a potential value there is if you have a friend who knows you both, who might at least have a sense of how you are, like what's your texting style or how to interpret that. If the one friend is like, they haven't written me back. Is that a bad thing to be able to be like, oh no, no, no that's just how they are. Like they're that way with me too. Or uh, yeah, like that's kind of weird because usually they are all over their text. So, so actually, I mean, it, it is one of those areas where, where society give us, gives us so many of these stressors and throws them at us or has thrown them at us all at once. Like the world we're living in right now, where has, hasn't always been this way. And we're not sure why somebody might be acting the way they're acting. I definitely think there's a benefit, potential benefit to having a friend who could help interpret that for you or at least give you some kind of feedback that that makes it a little less of a guessing game so there are some potential goods to matchmaking as well yeah definitely i i do think 
I don't know, just as a general matter of social responsibility, if we want to call it that, like it might be a better world if people felt more like, you know, even maybe a little bit of a moral obligation <laughs> to help their friends in that department where possible and like where it's not going to cause you some, I don't know, professional headache or something like that. Yeah. But where, you know, but when you're willing to take a little bit of a risk, at least for your friend and, and put yourself out there for your friend. And yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see almost trying to, to come back to some of that accountability when you look at social media where some people now do recommend their friends to other people to date. And um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see if we kind of come full circle and we recreate those communities that once existed that used to introduce you to others. And maybe they just take somewhat of a different shape, but where that sense comes back of, no, I do need to protect other people. And one way I protect other people is to introduce them to good people instead of making them go out with randos and mystery, you know, mystery people and like ultimately kind of help them find their way. But it's, it's definitely a complicated issue. And I am curious to see whether these, these Netflix shows, whether it's Indian matchmaking or Jewish matchmaking, like whether these kind of give people more ideas as to, huh, maybe I, I want to become involved in that also, even not professionally, like the people that are showing on TV, but just like on a personal level, that that might be like a nice thing to do. So culturally, I don't know, we might see that happen. Wait and see. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter or on Instagram. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye.